Welcome to the Customer First podcast, hosted today by me, Avashi Rowe. I'm part of KPMG International's Global Customer Centre of Excellence, which focuses on helping our clients drive profitable growth by putting their customers at the heart of their business. On today's podcast, we're exploring the theme of empowering employees to deliver great customer experiences. I'm joined today by Robert Bolton, head of our Centre of Excellence for People and Change, Matt Campbell, Managing Director, People and Change, KPMG in the US, and Chloe Burton, Head of Experience Design, KPMG in the UK. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We've been discussing customer experience in this series of podcasts, and one of the themes that comes out very, very clearly is this interaction between employee experience and customer experience, and the fact that they need to be considered as two sides of the same coin. What I wanted to ask you is, have you seen a change in the way that businesses are thinking about this interaction? We now run a Future of HR survey every year, and we've kind of been running it for well over 20 years. And last year, we first picked up signals in the in the survey. It's a global survey, and um, we're seeing a, an increasing number of HR functions concerned about and seeking to work in the area of experience design. What's interesting between last year and this year is that a, albeit a minority, but we we see this minority as pathfinding HR functions, and 75% of those pathfinding HR functions are explicitly drawing a link between employee experience design and ultimate customer experience, you know, seeking to walk the customer talk. And I think this is, albeit it's not every organization, it is a growing trend and we're picking that up in our global survey. And um, for, for obvious reasons, we know that organizations that make that connection between employee experience and customer experience report things like greater profitability and customer satisfaction and, and so on. It, it pays for itself. Absolutely. Matt, do you have any examples of organizations that you're working with that are, that are doing this particularly well? Yeah. In the U.S., we're seeing most of the Fortune 50, Fortune 100 businesses really start to look at building out their office of the employee um, experience, which may or may not be part of the HR team, and really looking to link what that means from a um, employee's experience of the technology they use, the environment that they're working in physically, and also the cultural issues around it, and then tying all of that back to the actual customer uh, journey maps um, and looking at how employees are contributing within that. So I think if, to, to back up Robert's point, it's interesting that these Pathfinder organizations are actually some of the biggest organizations and, and really on the front end of, of making some of those um, early moves. Um, so the rest of the market will follow at some stage. Chloe, I'll come to you now to just ask in relation to experience design, how you are working with clients to bring the customer experience and the employee experience together as one. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it is definitely a trend we're starting to see more and more with the big organizations, um, whereas customer experience used to be the kind of 
fluffy bit of the boardroom conversation actually the experienced economics really write themselves now and you're seeing them much more included in things like business cases and the balanced scorecard of transformation and the impact on experience is much better understood i think now employee experience is becoming that that kind of new entrant into board discussions whereas it once was the domain of hr experts actually it's beginning to bring in the marketing officer the chief customer officer hr and actually sitting as something of a function of a ceo or a coup now how do you connect those journeys that's the big that's the big question mm -hmm. and how do you set up these organizations to truly drive a better cx I think that's what we're certainly facing into in some of our biggest clients in utilities and retail and, and beyond, actually. Mm -hmm. And it is really looking at the tools and techniques like voice of the customer, having a voice of the employee, that continuous listening, and then some tools like customer journey mapping, thinking of how the employee journey maps within that and the correlation to the pain and gain points. You can quickly start to see where transformation would have the biggest impact. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because um, in terms of organisations, employees are also customers. So how do organisations use that to their advantage? I think that employees, obviously, for many organisations, are customers. It's, it's rare for our organisation <laughs> that our employees are customers. But when you look at retailing, when you look at um, uh, other kinds of services, you know that that as a as a customer and an employee you have to experience the same thing otherwise you're not walking the talk and um it's kind of hypocritical actually at the end of the day and it's this is about being authentic and following through on values and i know that in in work that we've done organizations where the values aren't matched with the way that people behave values around customer and then how leaders behave and how employees behave then nothing ever sticks you know the thing doesn't bed itself in and i think that's the big issue you either pay lip service for this and you don't get the economic benefits that chloe mentioned or you have to do it root and branch up down left right throughout the organization and to that point, actually, what role would you say that the C-suite has when it comes to making those connections through the organization and then ultimately onwards towards the customer? Well, this is part, of course, of what we talk about in terms of the connected enterprise, um, which is, of course, a core facet of our point of view and consulting for organizations seeking to undergo digital transformation. There's no point in doing this in the front office because those front office people will immediately experience, if it doesn't flow from middle office through to back office, because everyone's delivering a service to everyone else ultimately, we're all connected. And if it's only concentrated at the customer facing end of the organization and very poor elsewhere, then that ultimately has to be the accountability of leaders. And if leaders haven't sorted it out for the enterprise, it's not going to work either. Mm, absolutely. Matt, what would you say are the risks that could be associated with that kind of top-down approach? Well, the, the big risk is that there's um, a, a dislocation in the organization in terms of what actually matters. Uh, for people who are actually on the front line delivering services, 
if what they're seeing and dealing with every day doesn't uh, line up and they don't feel reinforced by their own leaders in their organization, it's going to be very hard to maintain that level of service. And we see that a lot in contact center environments where people are really working in some sometimes very difficult circumstances with a real lack of leadership support that then leads to high turnover, high um, high issues in terms of the actual customer service metrics that they're delivering against. And we may be hitting metrics in terms of um, minimum call times, uh, but not necessarily actually delivering good outcomes. So that it really travels right through to the risk side of it in terms of are you actually able to deliver the service if you haven't got that frontline employee buy-in, um, whether they're in the back office or the front office, do they actually feel supported and enabled to actually get out there and deliver on, to Robert's point, the, the overall organization purpose. Um, and having that alignment uh, internally for them, um, they need to be able to see their colleagues um, experiencing the organization in a positive way, as well as, as well as their own experience, so that they're able to actually come through with that consistency um, that we're really trying to drive in most customer service contexts. Obviously, there's a lot of financial risks that play out as a result of that. Um, and a lot of the bad behavior that you see in organizations is usually because senior leaders are talking about one thing, uh, but their actions may not line up and employees yeah. don't know how to resolve the internal conflict. Um, and that's where those bad behaviors start to appear. I think that's a really good point. And I think if you flip it on its head, you know, what's the risk of of not seeing your employees as customers of, of your own business. You know, when we leave at the weekend and we've got zero touch to purchase or we've got, you know, X, Y, Z, when we come in and have to do five different sign-ons and, you know, we aren't trusted, you have to open your lunch at the, the lunch queue, those kind of six pillars of experience aren't being hit in terms of empathy, personalization, uh, and that integrity pillar. I think the other key thing is is linking that purpose. So every every business has talked very much about values in the past and historically. Actually, we're seeing much more now that purpose-driven organizations not only drive bigger customer bases, and, and we could talk about Lush here, as a really clearly purpose-driven organization. And that goes through down to everything from the strategy to then the brand experience that you want to have. And the employees are so bought into that that they know exactly how to deliver that experience because they fully connect it with that wider strategy. I think where it gets messier is where there's a huge disconnect. And Matt, you touched on it a bit on the on the metrics. And, and actually, when we had a global business services meeting with some of the big, big global providers of that, what they were saying is that that line of sight to experience metrics away from those classic targets to did you resolve the problem? Were they satisfied when they got off the phone? And linking reward much more to those kind of metrics looked to be, you know, that was the future and actually many have already tumbled into it. I think there's a big contact center swell that needs to follow in into that kind of trend. That's a really good point, actually, Chloe. You touched on the um, six pillars of experience excellence to, to kind of identify the customer experiences that we do. Um, and you touched on empathy, which I think is really interesting. Um, and that appears to be the most challenging pillar, actually, for organizations when they're looking at these transformations. Rob, why do you, why do you think that might be? Yeah, I think that clearly empathy with the customer is, um, is a prerequisite if you're going to deliver great customer service, because you have to put yourself in the customer's shoes. 
But your, your question was, why is that one of the most difficult things to create in an organization? And it's because of everything else that we do that creates noise and, and a barrier to being empathic. For instance, um, the, the incentivization around speed to serve, um, how we get rewarded for um, being lean and efficient. All of these things sometimes take precedence over spending time with the customer, for example. So I know of a, a very well-known manufacturer of consumer goods, and they experience declining customer satisfaction through the service center because the service center, it used to spend its time with, with people who would help um, the customers resolve little issues with, with the equipment, with the kit. But then they introduced much more aggressive sales targets mm -hmm. and almost to the extent in which the employees were being incentivized to say, well, actually, if you thought about the latest version of the product, you know, you've, your version is two generations old. And they're incentivized rather to perhaps help the customer uh, keep their two generation old equipment going they're incentivized to sell them something new. Interestingly, customer satisfaction has gone down. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, it's a really important point when we talk about the six pillars to think about empathy. Empathy and personalization are really where we see the leaders differentiate. But actually, if you look at any pillar in isolation as a business, you will not succeed. They have to be co-connected. You have to deliver integrity, time and effort before you can start thinking about differentiating on personalization or empathy. And if you look at what we mean by empathy, often in this environment, we mean going the extra mile. What does that mean as an employee? That means I'm trusted. That means I'm empowered to get to the right decision. That means that the business then learns from what I've learned from dealing with that one customer and makes it business as usual. It's not stuff that you do in isolation. It's an actual culture that you have to create around empowering and trusting your employees. But if you go straight for empathy or personalization, guess what? In the customer experience world, that's just as tricky. And where you focus on that and prioritize that, you fail because there's data risk. You don't want people to know you that well. And there's lots of other muddiness that comes with it. So getting that pillar hierarchy right and tackling those in tandem, not losing sight of the other five pillars when you're tackling one. I think is really key. So let's just run through those pillars actually, Chloe. So you've talked about personalization, you've talked about empathy, um, time and effort. Talk to us about, a little bit about the time and effort. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big buzzword. So in all our big um, shared service transformations at the moment in any sector, what they're looking at is zero touch or frictionless transactions. People's time is of a high, high value. If you look at our customers, and they're certainly becoming used to doing much less in terms of uh, when they interact with those big customer experience companies. Um, so time and effort in a, in a work environment, I think has similar connotations. I have intention-led journeys. I have stuff I need to get done. I don't really care if that's five different functions, if that's an IT and a, and a finance and an XYZ. If I've you know, fallen pregnant and I need to understand what my maternity cover is, that could be five or six different functions of a, of a business that that interacts with. But my intention-led journey is I'm having a baby and I want to understand what my rights, et cetera, are. And I think just, just starting to flip it on its head and, and using that intention-led journey, understanding the personas and the needs and behaviors of those groups, 
will really help um, businesses in particular C-suite understand what those frictions are and, and also get rid of some of the silos that can appear with function-led organisations. Absolutely, and, and obviously those frictions and those difficult um, employee journeys have an impact ultimately on the customer journey. Yeah, uh, this, this is very timely because of course we KPMG are looking at things like powered enterprise service management, which is turning things on its head. We're so used to designing processes from the perspective of functional silos. By that I mean HR processes, procurement processes, technology processes. And it's the employee that has to act as the integrator. You know, they're the one that has to work through the spaghetti of the organization. And that's not a great experience. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not experience-centric or employee-centric. And um, turning things on its head and actually, as Chloe was saying, looking at things from the perspective of the journey that you want the employee to go through and what the touch points are and what the moments that matter are, which means the organization has to stop thinking from functional silos and start thinking from what is the experience we're going to create. Uh, that's a pivotal change. Yeah, and actually it comes back to the top-down piece that we were talking about earlier, Matt. So one of our global KPMG international surveys of HR leaders, the future of, of, of HR survey, um, I found it quite, quite astounding actually that just 16% of senior management had made employee experience a top priority for, for HR. Um, Matt, how do you think that, that organizations can inspire that culture of employee centricity and therefore customer centricity? Well, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to how organizations actually think about the role of their employees. Um, many organizations still take a very mechanistic view and can see employees as part of the machinery of the organization. Um, and to, to Robert's point, uh, they're almost the grease that makes that machine work in terms of helping all the cogs actually work backwards and forwards. Um, so when you actually step back and think about are our HR policies, are our, our business policies and processes overall actually designed to help an employee do the things we're asking them to do, um, that's a fundamental shift um, because now we're asking someone to have enough um, autonomy to actually go and deliver on things. So almost to some extent we need to unscript the degree of scripting that we've done because we've taken away that agency from employees to, to do that work. And I think at, when you look at it from a top-down perspective, that top-down view really um, is a very archaic idea um, when you consider that, uh, that World War II, the military had already done with a, a fully top-down model and was very focused on mission-centered mission efforts. Um, so we're asking people as employees to, to have their own mission and to take up causes, but then we um, take them off those causes and realign them to whatever the, the latest top-down thing is. So there's a bigger question within this in terms of how do you actually pull together all that sensory information that all of your employee base is picking up regardless of where they sit in the organization and start to integrate that information. And rather than trying to control it in a very structured narrative, how do you actually equip people with the ability to do the right things um, and, and understand that there may be a broader context that they need to work through in completing their tasks, but at the same time give them enough agency to actually go and complete those tasks. So there's a fundamental reshaping that needs to start occurring in terms of how we help people. So there's plenty of retailers um, and airlines 
who are well known for their part in giving employees um, a certain fund level that they can actually go and spend to delight and help customers. Um, we don't do the same thing with our managers in organizations to delight and help our employees. So there's lots of different ways that we fundamentally need to shift about how do we think about the role of an employee or a worker in an organization opposed to the privilege that we've given to customers in the past. Absolutely, and I, I think one of the examples from our customer experience excellent reports that comes to mind um, year on year is actually Rick Carlton, who I think do this um, well in terms of, of the the way that the, each employee is able to make an independent decision to resolve um, an issue that arises with a customer there and then without having to seek management approval at any given time. It's not just those frontline employees, because I think many organizations um, do put in place employee initiatives to try and get them closer to the customer. But it's not just those frontline employees, it's, it's, it's those non-customer facing employees as well, actually. Potentially some of those in the more back office functions that, that are process driven or are dealing with some of the pain points um, that customers experience. Would you agree? Completely. Um, I was involved with a an HR transformation in a big global telecommunications company. The explicit aim there wasn't to cut cost out of the HR function, but it was to create a an employee experience delivered from the HR function, which some would regard to, I, I actually don't like the idea of considering HR as back office, but for argument's sake, let's say um, you know HR is often seen as a back office function, but the explicit aim here was to create a, such a compelling and engaging employee experience from the HR function to employees that it was a mirror of the, exactly the kind of experiences that the organisation was supposed to give to its end customers, if you will, the real customers. And I think that was a good example, and, and it was a tremendously successful HR transformation because it was being able to show to all of those internal employees, you know, this is the role modeling, this is what good looks like. And, and of course, the, the, the customer-facing employees kind of get some of that, but it, it's about infusing the entire organization with the same values and principles and behaviors. Yeah, and I, I really liked what Matt was saying about that mission culture. Actually, with a lot of our government clients who are citizen-centric rather than customer-centric, you see a much clearer link to that mission culture where they talk about value for money rather than profit and growth, and it all feels a little less dirty uh, in the government sector for that. Uh, I think, um, and then in terms of the behaviors, the C-suite is often where you see some of the worst behaviors where they say, I am a customer, therefore the customer is I. And that's where getting them out, getting them to visit the front line and, and, and really getting that mission culture back. Who are your customers? Do you really know who they are? Do you really know which ones are profitable for you? Do you really understand what their end-to-end -end journey? And that is as equally important in employee experience, particularly when you're facing the future workforce um, the complete change to it end to end, how we attract talent, how we retain talent, what millennials want versus what Gen Zs want, how they interact, what they look for in an employer, how quickly they'll turn over their employment. 
if you don't look carefully at the skills that you want and desire in the future and how best to attract them and create the purpose-driven organization that will connect with them, then you're going to be in pretty big trouble, I would say, in a couple of years. That data point is actually really interesting. I mean, we've got better access to data than we've ever had before about customers, but also, as you talked about, Chloe, in terms of voice of the employee, um, given that all of the uh, recent interactions in the media are about customers' concerns around use of data, do we have the same issues with employees? Definitely. As we're moving into the age of what's sometimes called the quantified workforce, and this is where um, we are understanding employee motivation, behavior, performance using a, a combination of different data sources, some of which are not obvious. They may be about you know, uh, sentiment that comes through the tone of voice in your emails. It may be about understanding at a meta level how you're filling your day through your calendar. Things, things like that are data points and it paints a picture about you. And we're seeing technologies that can be tremendously revealing, but are we being honest and open with the employees when we start to use these technologies? The whole issue of ethics and data, uh, it certainly applies with artificial intelligence and the sources of data that are used mm -hmm. to inform AI engines. It's a massive topic. And that, yes, we have principles of how to do it well, but are those principles widely understood by leadership teams? No, they're not. And, and I think it's going to be a bit of a minefield why we, we learn to grow up as leadership teams around how to be much more sensitive about the use of, of employee data and the decisions that it informs. Yeah, Matt, I'm not sure how, how you see this in the US, but certainly in the UK, a lot of our clients come saying they have a lot of data on their employees, but actually, when you scratch beneath the surface, they, they really don't. They don't really know who they are. They might do an engagement survey once a year, but it's very poorly answered if it's answered at all. And, and so really, they don't have that clarity of line of sight that you do with a continuous listening voice to the customer, just-in-time sort of setup of, of data collection. And I think until we can bridge that chasm, to say, actually, you've got a lot on the customer which you aren't actioning or connecting right. But you actually don't have that much on the employee, and you're certainly not actioning or connecting right. Is that true in the US as well, Matt? Yeah, and I characterize it as there's probably lots of data, but it's not informed data. Um, and yeah. the, the data, to your point, is things like engagement surveys, which is frankly like running your business on last year's annual financial report. Um, to inform the financial decisions you're going to make today. We, we wouldn't think about the business finances in that way, so why are we thinking about employees in that way? I, I think part of that as well is how, and in the U.S., uh, there's usually pretty good response rates to employee engagement surveys, but it also challenged the value that a lot of those surveys are actually bringing at this stage because everyone knows that we need to get good marks on our engagement survey in order for us to get our bonus. Um, so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that, yes, yes, everything's fine, just give me the money. Um, so it's a case of how do we actually, are we actually getting value out of that data that we are collecting um, and, and how do we actually do that more in a more sophisticated way. We've been working with clients to start thinking through where does the relationship break down from an employee perspective and what are their biggest challenges and pain points and how do you start to prioritize what those issues are. And so, again, having a more informed data approach 
um, whether it's through a continuous listening or something else, how you're actually looking at those ongoing small metrics um, rather than some of those big headline metrics that, that organizations like to hang on to. I think the other underlying challenge in all of this is how do you not um, have too many metrics? Because at some point, um, once you start to dissolve the humanity of an organization by turning everybody again back into a normalized, standardized um, person, mm. um, are you actually still a human organization? And so I think there's an, an interesting tension going to some of Robert's points about artificial intelligence and that the data piece that you bring up, Chloe, in terms of how do you actually manage what the right level of metrics are which ones are actually truly producing value, and then how do we have informed data to support those conversations rather than trying to standardize and normalize everything? Um, because again, that will actually ironically lead to um, a poor employee experience if they can't actually be human when they turn up to work. I've got some data that I think reinforces all of this actually. And currently, the, the tool that is most prominently used to understand what employees are thinking is, of course, the traditional employee engagement survey. And we we know that there's, there's big problems with that, particularly when it's just an annual or biannual survey. In two to three years' time, we ask the question, what will you be using? And there was absolute significantly clear move towards things like journey mapping to quantitative analysis using non-traditional data such as email, calendar, messaging platforms, that's that quantified worker kind of thing. Uh, qualitative insight using sentiment analysis of social media was something that came very strongly. And even wearable devices and other monitoring capabilities using the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that in two, three years' time, people are thinking is going to... And I think the pattern is more real-time. And actually, those are some of the tools that we use for customer experience. Absolutely. And I think the key is learning the lessons from the customer experience. So three to four years ago, journey mapping was, you know, the rise all, it's the be all and end all. Actually, now journey orchestration and understanding how each individual touch point interacts with others having kind of seamless channels, actually channels have huge depth. If you've got a digital channel, it might also have voice or picture or other things embedded. So nothing's as 1D or 2D as we thought it was. And I think we can get a bit of a jump start on how employee experience uses things and tools like journey mapping, where we've learned those lessons in the customer experience to make sure, you know, data, make sure it's connected to actions, don't just have raw data journey mapping, make sure the future experience is designed and you don't boil the ocean, fix one thing at a time. And, and I think that's, that's a really powerful bit of bringing it all under a CEO or a coup and having it sit in HR, chief cost, customer officer, chief marketing officer. Or actually, indeed, as Robert, you talked about earlier, joining up those functions yeah, a little bit more closely throughout the course of the transformation. Well, uh, another data point, I'm full of data points today, <laughs> is um, we are picking up a trend that uh, pathfinding HR functions, they want to take the lead on that orchestration of the employee experience, no matter who owns the process in question. So it doesn't mean to say that, that HR is looking to take over the process, um, but to facilitate at the enterprise level that there is a coordinated approach. It might be that IT still owns the process. Now, I'm, I'm not naive enough as to think that there aren't other functions also 
looking to possibly take that leadership role mm -hmm. on behalf of the enterprise. And actually, I don't care who does it, as long as it's agreed in the enterprise that someone's looking at that end-to-end -end experience, uh, as opposed to the silo-driven view of things. Absolutely. Thank you all for a, a really interesting discussion today. Um, as a closing statement, could I ask you all to, to give me your one takeaway for organizations looking to deliver a better customer and indeed employee experience? A, a lot of the work that we're, we're doing in the US here is not just um, journey mapping in terms of designing journeys, but also going back and looking at the expectations that employees had um, and where from the employee's perspective, where, where does that actually change the model? Um, and so once we have those expectations, how are they actually experiencing them or failing to experience? How important are those um, recognition of those experiences or failure to have the experiences they're expecting to have? And how does that play out across the employee life cycle? I think one of the differences for me around the employee life cycle versus the customer life cycle is that the employee experience is probably a bit more emotionally loaded. Um, and so understanding all the expectations that someone brings to work around what does this mean in terms of their identity, what does it mean in terms of how they're actually showing up, their ability to actually fit into an organization or not fit into an organization, um, and, and the value that's attributed to that, and then what does that actually lead to for them in terms of their wantingness and desire to be part of the organization, contribute to its purpose, and then actually make that discretionary effort um, to, to actually go a step further. Um, I think that's yeah. one of the big things we're seeing here in the U.S. in terms of when we look at um, taking that design thinking logic, but actually taking it from a retro perspective and looking at how how are people actually experiencing the organizations they're in. And that helps inform where you start prioritizing some of those issues. Chloe, what would be your one takeaway? Uh, I think using a common language, six pillars is a good example of how you can do that, which connects directly from your insights into how you identify opportunities, into how you prioritize them, into how you execute change, and how you measure it into that continuous cycle. I think if you can all start talking in the same language, those things start to connect themselves. Rob? Change your mindset. Stop thinking in vertical silos. Look horizontally across the organisation from one end to the other. Thank you to all our guests on today's episode. Join us next time as we continue our discussions on being customer first. And if you'd like to subscribe to our podcasts or read any of our content, including what we've discussed here today, visit kpmg.com forward slash customer first. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.